It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. A tsunami advisory was canceled for Alaska Saturday afternoon after a massive undersea volcano erupted near Tonga. Some Alaska communities did see significant waves, but officials did not issue an evacuation warning. Most of the Alaskan coast was placed under a tsunami advisory, but the emergency alert system was not activated over broadcast services. Sitka Fire Chief Craig Warren told KCAW that there is no mass alert to the public when the threat is below the warning level. Sitka residents traveling through Seattle on Saturday reported receiving a wireless emergency alert on their cell phones. The largest waves to hit Alaska arrived in the Aleutians and Alaska Peninsula. The 900-person community of King Cove recorded waves of just over two feet. The volcano near Tonga has been erupting since Friday evening. Saturday morning's eruption was reportedly heard by Alaskans from the Aleutian chain to Huna. It generated a tsunami that caused flooding and damage throughout the Pacific. It's still not entirely clear how badly damaged Tonga is from the blast and subsequent tsunami. Communications with the island chain have been slowly restored. While the physical impact of Saturday's underwater eruption was relatively minor in Alaska, residents with ties to Polynesian island communities say the emotional impact of waiting for news of friends, family, and loved ones is heavy. KTOO's Rasha McChesney has the story. There has been very little contact with Tonga since the Hunga Tonga Hunga Haapoi volcano erupted in the South Pacific Friday evening. An undersea communication line to the island nation may have been cut after the eruption, and it's left more than 100,000 island residents virtually cut off from the outside world. So last night, um, like many Tongans who are overseas here, did not sleep well. That's Juno resident Melehoko Pau Maake. She says she was up late looking for every piece of news coming from the islands. And she knows a lot of her friends and family here in Juneau were too. She says Juno's Tongan community is tight-knit and everyone is connected to someone in Tonga. And one thing you'll know about a Tongan, you know, even if you're far distant uh, related, it's like we call each other brother and sisters, even though that's like my fourth cousin. Ma'ake and her husband have family all over the Pacific, and the whole group has been texting each other every update they can find on social media. You know, we're dying for information to, you know, to see what's going on, you know, because we're not hearing anything. So I think that's like the, you know, the, the first thing, you know, that we're we are, uh, waiting in all, in all ears, you know, to 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 see more of our relatives, you know, how, how they are doing. Early reports from the eruption show ash raining from the sky. Ma'ake says before the communication was cut off, she video chatted with a friend in Tonga. As she was driving to work with the ash and the raining rocks. And so she put on her phone the whole time for me so I can watch her and see what was going on. Uh, it got to a point in her drive she couldn't see anymore, so she had to pull off the road. There are no official reports of injuries or deaths, but communication is limited. And New Zealand's prime minister said Sunday that the Tongan capital has been heavily damaged. It's only about 40 miles away from the volcano. That volcano has been erupting intermittently since December. But the power of this latest eruption was so enormous that a booming sound was heard 5,800 miles away in communities throughout Alaska. It also sent tsunami alerts throughout the Pacific and triggered evacuation warnings in several countries, with tidal waves causing damage and flooding as far away as Chile. Some people have shared photos and videos on social media of people fleeing to higher ground and a tsunami flooding the shoreline of Tongatapu. That's the island where the capital is located. 
Ma'ake says when she heard that the island was submerged, it scared her because she says there's just not a lot of places to get to higher ground. Tongatapu is relatively flat. The highest point is about 92 feet above sea level. And Ma'ake's uncle Nori lives on that island. Um, you know, he's not very far away from the ocean front. Um, you know, he's like only like 10 minutes away driving. I, I even walk. It took me just like 20 minutes to walk from the waterfront to his house. Um, when I was there last time. And so, and then I hope that he left his place and, you know, because he's 84 and he's very stubborn. You know, I can see his daughter coming to take him to higher ground and him like, no. I asked you know, her I'm what message she wishes she could get to him. Is he okay? What does he need? And I hope that he left his house because I know how much he loved his house. And for Tonga, she says everything is still so fresh, but there will probably need to be some fundraising at some point because the eruption and tsunami will have a huge financial impact. They're not poor in their friendliness and, you know, love. And, and, and Tonga is very rich in that. But, but economically, you know, they are a, a poor um, island. So I know that they're going to need a lot of, of help, just simple things like running water. Ma'ake says so far, her friends and neighbors in Juno have supported her by calling and checking in to make sure she's okay and saying a prayer. In Juno, I'm Rasha McChesney. Southeast's seaweed and shellfish industry is in line to receive a boost from the feds. The U.S. Department of Agriculture announced last week that it would provide $500,000 in funding to draw up plans for a new mariculture processing facility on Prince of Wales Island. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, producers and processors are welcoming the news. USDA Undersecretary for Rural Development Sochil Torres-Small says the initiative goes hand-in-hand with the Biden administration's plans for a new economic opportunity in an area that's been in transition as the timber industry shrinks. It's a great opportunity for economic diversification. And one of the things I love about this project is it really is driven by partners on the ground. She credits Southeast Conference, a regional civic and industry group, as hatching the idea. Executive Director Robert Venables says the investment will go to good use. One of the things we're trying to do is, is help support the industry and identify what their needs are. And it's come to the forefront that a facility that can help, especially the smaller entities, uh, have a place to do you know, processing, storage, shipping, aggregating, uh, any number of uh, things, but they don't have the means to do their own individual construction of facilities. Venable says the idea is to create a co-op facility that would be shared by a number of mariculture firms. Matthew Scaletta owns Wildfish Cannery in Cloac. We're like a craft seafood cannery. He says Wildfish isn't canning mariculture products at the moment, but they're looking to get into the sector. We are hoping to be a value-added producer for mariculture products. I guess part of our part of our business plan going into the future is to work more of these products into our lineup. 
all very preliminary, but Scaletta says he could see his company adding 5 to 10 jobs by expanding their business to the new facility. Marcos Shear runs Seagrove Kelp, a mariculture outfit with a nursery in Ketchikan and a seaweed farm on the west side of Prince of Wales Island. He also chairs Southeast Conference's Seafood and Maritime Committee. Yeah, I think this is really an exciting time for mariculture in Alaska and the development of uh, sustainable, non-extractive economic opportunities for coastal Alaskans. I think it's, this is, I think, represents part of a, a really interesting and terrific paradigm shift. Venable says the half-million-dollar boost will pay for engineering work, community engagement, utility work, and other prep to get ready for construction. He says Southeast Conference is planning to help tap into funding from the recently passed federal infrastructure bill to help make the facility happen. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. The Alaska legislature is supporting the lawsuit by university students against the Dunleavy administration to protect a fund that pays for scholarships. A joint council of the House of Representatives and Senate on Monday approved filing a legal brief backing the lawsuit. The Alaska Higher Education Investment Fund has held more than $400 million. Each year, money from the fund pays for Alaska performance scholarships, need-based Alaska education grants, and the state program for medical students, known as WAMI. Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration has said that the money in the fund must be swept into a state savings account if three-quarters of both legislative chambers don't vote each year to maintain the funding. That vote failed last year. Kodiak Republican Senator Gary Stevens says emptying the fund would leave students uncertain about whether the scholarships would be available. The medical students are on a long-term program, and for them not to know from year to year how they're going to be supported would be quite devastating. Dunleavy has said that he supports funding the scholarships. The Legislative Council's vote to support the filing was 12 to 1. Taking a look at the community calendar. The deadline to register for Sitka Public Library and Island Artist Gallery's online NASA's Images of Change project for all ages is today, Tuesday, January 18th. The program will be held at 5 p.m. on Friday, January 21st. Jessica Christensen shares a brief talk about the Tongass Forest's role as a carbon sink Pat Kehoe leads a watercolor workshop on brown bears. Those younger than 18 can register to receive a free kit with art materials and NASA activities by calling 907-747-4020 or emailing maite.lorente at cityofsitka.org. Space is limited. Sitka Sound Science Center's free Sitka Sprouts science program for those age 3 to 5 and their parents meets at 10.30 a.m. Tuesdays at the center. Each session begins with a story followed by hands-on crafts, activities, and experiments. Masks are required. For more information, email ktierman at sitkascience.org. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is